Good morning. Welcome again this morning for our second message in our series, When the Spirit Moves. We've been uh, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Last week we read uh, uh, the first part of Peter's sermon and we're now winding down Peter's sermon. The crowd is about to respond and we pick up this morning in verse uh, 36 of Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to follow along with me. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words, He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received His word were baptized, and they were added that day about three thousand souls this is the word of the lord thanks be to god as i said earlier today is the second message in our series Uh, uh, and as we pause for these few weeks and look at acts chapter 2 i want to remind us that this is the very first sermon that peter is preaching after the receiving of the holy spirit on the day of pentecost Yes, you heard me right. Peter is preaching. (laughs) This same Peter who denied Jesus three times. This same Peter who always struggled to understand who Jesus was and the purpose that Jesus came. And in uh, in these few moments following uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit, it's Peter who stands and begins to proclaim the gospel. You'll remember last week that we talked a little bit about how Peter outlines this idea that it's the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ which prepares the coming of the Holy Spirit. It is a part of God's plan of human redemption. We did not take Jesus' life. Jesus gave His life. And not only did He give His life, He conquered death. Peter says death could not even hold Jesus. It's powerful language. Man, some powerful ideas, some powerful words in this text. But Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now church, I could preach an entire six-week series just on that uh, verse alone. But I want to focus today on that final phrase in Peter's answer when the crowd asks him what they should do. That final phrase, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to walk through three important words and phrases. Uh, The words cut to the heart, which was in the first part of what I read to you. And then in that last phrase, the word receive and the words Holy Spirit. 
But the difference is, is instead of beginning with Peter and working from the front to the back, I'm going to start at the back and work toward the front. So I'm going to begin first with Holy Spirit, then I'm going to go to receive, and then I'm going to go to cut to the heart. When we talk about God in the church and in the world, we sometimes think about God in terms of titles and names. Religious people have argued for centuries, probably as long as we have written records, about how we should refer to God. The name, or more accurately, the term God, really simply means one who is divine or uh, one who is not a human being. And most of the time, we continue to talk about God by putting qualifiers on that term God. Uh, So we might talk uh, a little bit about uh, God being all-powerful, that is, omnipotent. Or we might talk about God being Um, all-present, that is omnipresent, or all-knowing, that's omniscient, or fully merciful, that's omnibenevolent. Some people even add things about what God has done. So, for example, they might say, creator God. Other people might uh, uh, mention God's attributes. So they might say things like gracious God, or loving God, or sovereign God. Now, Jesus, of course, when he talks about God, he models a different way to reference God. He gives God some titles that perhaps weren't as prevalent. Parental titles, familiar titles, words like Abba or Pater in the Greek, intimate forms of the word Father. As a matter of fact, there are at least 100 different names or titles given to God the Father in the Bible. We do the same thing when we talk about Jesus. He is prophet, priest, king, Messiah, or Christ. Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. Lord, Redeemer, Healer, Great Physician, Savior. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, (laughs) well, some of us may not be as familiar with how the Bible talks about the Spirit. Some have suggested that the Bible uses about 30 to 40 different terms and ideas when talking about the Spirit. Maybe. I think that's probably right. But by and large, there are essentially three terms or titles that the Bible uses mainly when talking about the Holy Spirit. And I'd like to talk about those three names with you just for a moment or two. Throughout Scripture and throughout the history of the church, these three words have been synonymous with the Holy Spirit. And these words are, first, the Greek word sophia, which means wisdom, paraclete, which means advocate, and panuma, which means wind or breath. Now, when I talk to folks, a lot of folks will, will uh, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit specifically, they'll say that, uh, you know, the only time I really hear about the Holy Spirit is in the New Testament, and that really just isn't true. There are numerous references in the Old Testament about the Spirit of God. As a matter of fact, if you were just to look at the instances and ways that the Old Testament uh, talks about the Spirit in terms of what the Spirit does or the role of the Spirit in the Old Testament, there are at least 12 clear ways the Spirit worked with all of creation, humans and the created order, including being present at the time of creation in Genesis 1-2 as the Spirit of God hovered over the waters giving wisdom and strength to many of the leaders in the Old Testament, people like Joshua, Gideon, Samson, Deborah. 
In the Old Testament, the Spirit inspired holiness in the people of God. The, the, the Spirit taught morality to the people. It, it taught the people God's decrees. The prophet Ezekiel talks about this in Ezekiel 36, verse 27. And of course, most uh, poignantly, I think, the Spirit in the Old Testament talks about the coming of the Messiah, whom we as Christians confess Jesus as the Messiah. Isaiah does this in chapter 11, verse 2. Some of the common words used to describe the Spirit in the Old Testament are breath, wind, and wisdom. But when the Jews translated the Hebrew Scriptures into Greek about a hundred years before Jesus was born, the Greek word Sophia became a common word used to reference the Spirit. Sophia. It means wisdom. We get the word sophisticated from it. In the middle of the second century, uh, about 130, 140 years after Jesus had rose and ascended into heaven, a widely respected teacher, a guy by the name of Irenaeus, begins to use the words logos to reference Jesus. He gets that from John chapter 1. Logos means the word. We confess Jesus is the word of God. And Irenaeus refers to the Spirit as Sophia. It isn't new. This isn't something Irenaeus thought about. God's people had long understood the Spirit as the one who teaches us. Some have mistakenly understood that this is somehow the human conscience. You know, that still small voice inside of us that tells us what's right and what's wrong. That's not really the case. As a matter of fact, uh, the Sophia, the wisdom, the spirit that's in us is significantly more than that. Now, we, we all have a conscience. Our conscience comes from that imprint placed on us by God Himself when He made us because we're made in the image of God. But Sophia, the spirit, the wisdom, that's something more significant. That's something more powerful. It, it is the spirit that inspired Solomon to write the Proverbs. It is the Spirit that opened the minds of the prophets to understand God's teachings. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our own minds and in our own hearts that helps us when we read and study Scripture. It's the presence of God that inspires us toward a life of holiness, of goodness, of grace, and of mercy. The second word that is used in Scripture is given to us by Jesus Himself in John chapter 14, verse 16. He's teaching His disciples about what will happen after His resurrection and His ascension and His need to depart so that the Spirit can come. He uses the word paraclete to reference that person coming as a matter of fact, in your Bibles, it probably says something like this, depending on what version you have. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper. Or your version might say, comforter, to be with you forever. The word helper in the original language is the word paraclete. But it literally means advocate. You see, in Greek culture, the culture that really governed even the Roman Empire as it ruled, uh, in the Greek culture, an advocate, a paraclete, was somebody that you took with you when you went to court. 
We might think of it today as a lawyer or maybe a character witness. The ancient Jews used that Greek word paraclete as a way to describe the work of angels or prophets or holy people who functioned as advocates for God's court. People who testified to the character of God. Even those who consoled the people of God in times of uncertainty. Which is why John when he records this, is intentional about recording what Jesus says. When Jesus says, I'm sending the paraclete, the advocate, the comforter, the helper, who will come and be with you. Our English translations, as they use the words uh, helper and comforter and describing Jesus' word for the Spirit, is important, especially if you were a Jew listening to, Uh, to Jesus' teachings because in the Jewish uh, traditions as they received this word and this idea of the paraclete uh, they were able to build also a a very tight relationship between this comforter and this helper as the one who is the confirmation uh, the power behind prophecy Not the foretelling of the future necessarily, but the speaking on behalf of God. We as Christians might say the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many Christians understood that the paraclete was the one who gave them the ability to testify to what God was doing in their life. It was the one who gave the church the courage and the authority to preach the gospel. That's why we see that on the actual day of Pentecost, when Peter is preaching this sermon, when the Spirit comes upon the believers, the first things the believers do is they begin to testify, to preach in other languages. Peter himself, who was always putting his foot in his mouth, always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, always giving the wrong answer most of the time when Jesus would ask questions, when the Spirit came upon him, He's able to stand boldly and with authority with the other eleven and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to this crowd. The third word for the Spirit that we find in the Scriptures is the word pneuma, which literally means wind or breath. We get the word pneumatic in English from that Greek root. You might think of the last time you went to the mechanic and he had to use a pneumatic drill to take off the tire. It's the use of compressed air to to do a certain job. So when we talk about the panuma in the Christian life, the compressed air, the wind, the breath, it reminds us of so many beautiful things in the Scriptures. It, It reminds us at the moment of creation, on day six in the afternoon when God created human beings, He breathed into them to give them life. It reminds us of Jesus in John chapter 20, verse 22, when He was about to send the disciples out. He breathed on them to give them their strength, their authority, the power of the Spirit. And it's why Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, describes the coming of the Spirit when he uses the phrase, and there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. A friend and colleague of mine, Pastor Jeff Gill, who serves Central Christian Church in Newark, Ohio, sent me an article this past week that really made me smile, lifted my heart. It was a story not about Scripture necessarily, 
but it was about a place called Biosphere 2. You may have heard of that. In 1987, the University of Arizona launched a research facility known as Biosphere 2. It's a self-contained miniature version of our planet. And it's a place where uh, researchers can study how our planet's living systems work together. They have problems now and again, but one of the problems that they had is, is that they discovered that trees that were growing in the uh, biosphere too were growing faster than trees outside, but they were never able to reach full maturity and eventually would even die. Now they tried to figure out this problem. And in their research, they discovered that they had missed a pretty significant piece that is in the natural world that wasn't in the biosphere. And that was wind. There was no wind in the biosphere, but there was wind. There is wind in the natural world. And so the researchers concluded that wind is an important part of what helps trees get stronger. As a matter of fact, they discovered that the wind actually, as it moves and pushes the tree to uh, 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 sway back and forth, helps the wood actually develop internal structures that protect the tree from other stresses, from things like uh, 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 drought and, and storms and, and even fire in some cases. This pneuma, this wind, is what helps us grow stronger too. It helps us be stronger, and it helps us endure the brokenness of this world. The second word that I want to share with you a little bit about today is the word receive. Now, in the language in which the New Testament was written, the word receive is a word that is written in the middle voice. And you're like, oh no, we're getting ready to get a grammar lesson. Well, it's just a real quick grammar lesson. Uh, let me give you a brief example. The sentence, God gives us the Holy Spirit. In English, that would be an active verb. It's the active voice. It's God that's doing it. And so the emphasis of that sentence is on God. If I were to give you the sentence, we were given the Holy Spirit, well, in that sentence, it's a passive verb. It's in the passive voice. And so, therefore, the emphasis there is on the one who receives the Holy Spirit, not the one who gives it in that case. But in Greek, they have this voice called the middle voice. It's, it's not in English, but it is in Greek. And the, and the powerful thing about the middle voice that we try to catch in the English language but don't often do is that the middle voice emphasizes both the, the one doing the action as well as the one receiving the action. What does this mean? Well, well, here is the result of that real quick grammar lesson. You see, it means that God is indeed the giver of the gift. It's God's gift. Matter of fact, that's reinforced when Luke uses the word gift. Receive the gift. We didn't have anything to do with that gift. It's not forced on us. And yet, we are a part of the act of giving. Well, what does that mean? Because we have been given the opportunity to not receive it. Or more accurately, we can reject 
the gift. We can't earn our salvation, but we can reject it. It's how God preserves our free will. You know, even our best works fall short. That's why Paul says in Romans 3.10, there is none that is righteous. No, not one. It's why the prophet Isaiah in chapter 64, verse 6 says that our righteousness is as filthy rags to God. And yet, you are free. You have the freedom given to us by God to reject the gift that God is offering us. Now, if that weren't true, I think you probably understand that, but if that weren't true, why would Peter be preaching to this crowd to begin with? Why would Paul have spent all that time and sweat and blood and tears to go out the whole known Roman Empire to preach the gospel? Why, do we, why have we, we the Scriptures that, that lift up this wonderful story, the greatest story that has ever been told of God's love and God's reconciling power through Jesus Christ? What Peter is saying here is that this gift of the Holy Spirit, this wisdom, this advocate, this wind, this breath of God, it's going to strengthen you. It's going to comfort you. It's going to teach you. And it's offered fully, completely, without a single prerequisite. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what bed you've slept in, no matter what brokenness you find yourself in, no matter what great things you've done, no matter how big your church is or how many cars can fit into your church parking lot, no matter how many people you've fed or those you've clothed or those you've housed, those things may be admirable in human standards, but they're filthy rags to God in terms of gaining your salvation. Now, if you want to be lauded with other people, if you want to be lauded by other people, if you want the praise of people, if that is your salvation, then have at it. <laughs> but it will fail you. It will disappoint you. It will betray you. If you want the presence of God in your life, though, if you want the Holy Spirit to take up residence within your heart and mind, receive you know when i go to the doctor when i'm sick and she says i have the medicine that will cure you right here in my cabinet i can write you a prescription you can take it to the pharmacy and if you have it filled it will make you well well i don't leave the doctor's office suddenly well i'm not cured at that point I have to go and I have to get the medicine and I have to follow her instructions. You know, I've, I've got to take it twice a day with my meals or whatever it is. And then I benefit from it. Then I'm made whole, I'm healed from whatever sickness I have. Listen, we are not partners with God in our salvation. We are recipients of that salvation. But God is a God that honors our free will. He won't make you love Him. He won't make you spend eternity with Him. But He offers it freely. Finally, in today's text, we read that the people were cut to the heart. This is a metaphorical language that they were in pain. That they were overwhelmed with sorrow. Sorrow. 
As a matter of fact, it's the same uh, phrase and words that would be used to, to, to describe being stung. It's the kind of language that, that, that describes the pain that a person might feel when their spouse says to them, I don't love you anymore, I want a divorce. It's the kind of pain that, that overwhelms us when, when, when the physician or the surgeon comes and says, I wasn't able to save your child's life, they're dead. It sucks the air out of you. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to go on. You can't breathe. All you're experiencing is anguish and sorrow and grief and and guilt and anxiety and they flood your soul. You don't know where to go, what to do. This is the word that Luke is using to describe how the crowd is reacting crowd cries out to Peter in their agony what shall we do it's a plea for hope it's a plea for an answer it's a plea for a reason for a way to make things right and the truth is most of the time in these situations in human standards there is no answer There's nothing that can be done. The opportunity is gone. There's only grief, darkness, and loneliness. But not with God. And here's the astonishing thing to me, church. And Peter stands there and he looks into the faces of that crowd who 50 days before he preached this sermon had chanted that his friend, his teacher, his Savior should be put to death. Most of us in our faulty human understanding of justice would want to to have called down fire from heaven to consume and destroy those who wanted God dead. But because Peter had received the Spirit, the breath of God, the wind of God, the advocate, the helper, the comforter, the wisdom, he declares truth with love. Repent and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Spirit. Will you do that today? Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I don't want to know if you have it all figured out. I don't want a list of your sins. I don't want a list of your doubts. I don't need you to tell me all of your fears or your grief. I just want to know if you want to go another way, which is what the word repent literally means, to turn around and go the other way. Listen, you don't need to be the teacher You just need to be willing to be the student. You don't need to be perfect. You only need the perfection that Christ wants to give you. You don't need to be able to write a paper on the nature and work of Jesus Christ or how He does what He does. You just need to know who He is. And not in some philosophical sense, but just that you know He loves you. And He wants you to follow Him. Here's the question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, 
And do you accept Him as your Lord and Savior? If you said yes to that question, I want you to come and let us walk with you. Let us go together another way. Let's follow Jesus together. I don't want you to follow a preacher. You don't need to follow a political figure. Certainly don't want you following a self-help author. But I want you to follow. We want to follow together the one who has the words of life. Be obedient and be baptized. Accept, receive the gift of God's presence in your life. That the third person of the Godhead, God the Holy Spirit, will come into you and teach you and never, ever leave you. Now, if you've become a disciple of Jesus Christ today, would you email us? Would you let us know at the email on your screen today? We, we, we want to walk with you together. If you're not in the area and you made that uh, decision, you answered yes to that question, let us know so that we can help you find a, a church that will teach you the full counsel of God and will encourage you in your walk and help you in your pursuit toward living that which God has called you to live and to do and to be. We want to be encouraged that God is at work. Even in these uncertain times when we seem to be distanced by technology, the Spirit is with you now. And God is calling you into a life that will not always be easy, but it will never, ever be boring. A life of joy, true joy, not just happiness, but joy. Because you're living into what God has called you to be and to do. That's what we want to celebrate with you today. This relationship that God has just begun with you. This gift that He's offered and you by your free will have received. Amen and amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for those who answered yes to that question today and are beginning their life anew. Even in the midst of the potential solitude of their homes or wherever they might find themselves, that they're set free because of Your Spirit. That the Advocate has taken up residence in their life. That the wind is blowing in their life and making them stronger. That wisdom has descended and will help them see You. We pray, Lord, that You might preserve them. We pray that You'll call other believers to walk with them and be with them that together, Lord, as Your disciples, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we will follow You wherever that might lead. And we pray, Lord, that in the joy of this newness, for those of us who already said yes to that question, that we would pray for those who made that decision today. And that we, empowered by the Spirit in our lives, would testify and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. For it is in His name that we pray. Amen.